Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is Whatsoever You Do Will Prosper, a guide for miraculous prayer. And joining me is author D.W. Williams II. Welcome, sir, to the program. Well, thank you for welcoming me. I'm glad to be here. And if I may call you by your formal name, it's, uh, it's Donnie, correct? Yes, that's correct. Fantastic. This book is a relatively short read. Is this the first book you've written, or are there others? This is actually the very first book I've ever written in my life. <laughs> ah, this book is directed towards that ministry or that uh, congregation, if I use that in the, in the general term. The title, Whatsoever You Do Will Prosper, has to do with biblical teaching, and um, your content does deal with uh, miracles and your concept or your faith belief that uh, that miracles still happen today. Is that also correct? That is correct, yeah. Miracles are happening every day, and the idea is to get God's people to believe more and more and more and more and more in His miraculous power. There are pastors and Bible teachers that don't believe miracles or uh, supernatural stuff is happening today. In fact, I read a news release from a, a very large church in New York City that is also embracing the right to abortion and so on. Where do you stand on the miracles? I, obviously, you say they they do happen today. How do you address people that have closed the door on supernatural? So I love I love your question because one of the I guess the phrase that sticks out to me is close the door. Mm. That means, um, that infers to me that the door was once open. Ah. And, um, and I was just talking with a brother a few days ago, and he told me um, his pastor died, and very, very sad story. But while the pastor was alive, the church had a habit of praying all the time for healing. Mm. And um, the pastor actually died of bone cancer. And um, when I was speaking to the brother, he said to me, well, at this point, I really don't know what to do. Um, you know, I just stopped praying. And he told me he stopped praying because the Lord did not heal the pastor. Mm. When I heard that, my heart sunk because, you know, the Bible teaches us that we should keep on asking. We should keep on knocking. We should keep on seeking. Just because someone doesn't get healed, just because someone isn't raised from the dead just because a terminal sickness isn't cured and you and you've been praying and you've been hoping and you've been reading scripture and you've been doing what you think is all the right things to do to bring about that healing overall god has the final say and just because someone doesn't get healed maybe sometimes the lord wants us to just continue to pray so that we will be strengthened in our prayer so that we will know that he is indeed god and the god of heaven and earth and still the God of miracles, still Jehovah Raphael, still the God of healing. So in, in, that, in that circumstance, in that context, I just encourage my friend, my brother, to continue to pray. Don't stop praying just because miracles don't happen. Sometimes it could be because God just wants to bring you closer to Him. Sometimes it could be because He wants to strengthen the relationship. 
we have with God. So, you know, I, I address individuals who, who close the door to miracles. And I ask them, have, have you continued to ask the Lord for miracles? Because if we cease asking God for miracles, it shows where our faith was really at the very beginning. Mm. You took two or three years of, of time to assemble the, the contents of your book. Is that also correct? That is true. Very, very true. I actually um, just spent a lot of time um, with God, just listening to His voice and um, writing some things down as I heard what He said. And over two to three years, just studying the Word of God and listening to God and praying and being in and out of different um, church contexts. I've, I've just experienced God in so many ways, and I just really wanted to share it with the world that all the time I didn't have a computer to write, so I literally wrote it on my iPhone 6. Hmm. My <laughs> goodness. <laughs> Apple would be pleased to, to hear that. I'm sure uh, they would, yeah, very, <laughs> in the note section of iPhone 6. Incredible. You have a phrase on the back of your book that I am not familiar with. You know, I have been around churches and church folks a while, but not familiar with the term harp and bowl prayer. What is harp and bowl prayer? Wow, that's a really, really good question. Um, harp and bowl prayer stems from out of the book of Revelation, the, the bowls that the angel has, the incense that is rising unto the Lord. Hmm. The harp represents the musical, the, the, the music that is eternally happening in heaven, the angels of the Lord bowing before God, singing Hosanna, Hosanna, um, singing um, glory, power, and majesty, are you, Lord, great are you, Lord. It's the angels of the Lord singing, and we here on earth are joining in in the worship unto our Lord, singing songs, and the bowls represent the incense, the incense that they put in the bowls. Those are the prayers that are rising unto the Lord, the nostrils of God. So our prayers are like a sweet aroma, our righteousness, our faithfulness to God, our, our love for Abba Father is a sweet aroma, the, the incense that are rising up to the Lord. So the Lord enjoys to hear the sound of worship coming from earth, and He loves to hear the sound of worship that is happening even in heaven as you and I are speaking right now, the angels of the Lord that have those harps. And, and the incense that are rising unto the Lord, our prayers rising up to the Lord, um, prayers of petition, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of adoration, prayers of faith, um, even just sitting at the feet of our Lord are all forms of prayer. You also could use the word devotion, I guess, in uh, describing that. You have a very bold statement just in the title, Whatsoever You Do Will Prosper. Does that, wow. does yeah. that, does that include finances? What, what are you referring to there? Whatever you do comes from the, 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 the book of Psalm, chapter 1, verse 3. Um, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight shall be in the law of the Lord, and in his law will he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of living water that bringeth forth fruit in its season, and whatsoever you do will prosper. That's, I believe, David hearing from God, really releasing that into those that would have read his scriptures or those that may have been in the cave with them when he was um, literally running away from King Saul. But I believe a lot of the Psalms and the songs that were, and the prayers that were prayed in the book of songs were, were written 
from a heart of escape, from a heart of um, fear, and also from a heart of, of promise as well, because David knew that, that he was anointed. He knew that he was called. He knew that he would be the next king, but he never usurped his authority. But not to get off too much track, whatsoever you do will prosper is a tough pill to swallow mm-hmm. just because it's unbelievable. And that's what the Lord wants us to believe in, is the unbelievable, the miraculous, the supernatural. He, he, he desires that we tap into the realm of the supernatural because he is spirit. He is he is God is spirit. And so that's his realm. That's where he operates. And not only does he operate in the spirit, but he also operates in the natural. Um, the handwriting on the wall um, that Daniel and all the other kings saw, um, just uh, one example how God just operating the natural, um, just not only operating the natural, but affirming him to be the God of heaven and earth. So whatsoever we do will prosper comes from Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, that if we meditate on the law, the precepts, the things that the Lord says, there isn't anything that we can do that will fail. Is your book written for what I would describe as super-Christians, you know, those those folks who uh, walk, talk, eat, and digest, and yeah. uh, explain expository insight into Scripture? Is this one of those kind of books? Is it going to be difficult for me to understand? Well, no, absolutely not, because the book relates to, and it connects to marriages. There are a lot of marriages that need restoration. Mm. Restoration, and not to go too um, deep, but um, restoration and communication, restoration and likeness toward each other, um, financial um, miraculous or transition or transformation. Um, it, it relates to jobs, employment, relationships, sons, daughters, believing God for maybe your son to be healed of a certain disease or believe in the Lord for your son to achieve maybe in the class or your daughter to uh, achieve, to go on to the next level, to choose a righteous um, I guess, friend um, to court um, and interchangeably uh, your son choosing the right young lady to court. So it, it stems from, and it comes from the fact that not for necessarily for super Christians, but for those individuals who have stopped praying, mm. who stopped believing and who stopped and, and who's lost faith. So super Christians are one thing I'm, I kind of stay away from or like to, Stay away from these super Christians, but these are for individuals who have lost tremendous hope in God. Mm. You would describe this then as a book of encouragement for sure. What do you Absolutely. think? Yeah, what would you you say to those? There is a scripture that talks about praying without ceasing. What does that mean? Or how did you describe that in your book? Praying without ceasing is such a hard task because when we think about praying, we think about actually maybe for some, um, maybe getting on our knees to pray and doing it all day. Mm. But no, not, not necessarily. Do you understand that praying is communicating with God? And communication not only um, comes from me speaking, but it also comes from us listening, which is a two-way conversation. So throughout the day, we're hearing from the Lord. When, we, when, when our minds and our hearts are dedicated to the Lord and where we're actually seeking and expecting something from God when we expect, when we expect or we are praying and hoping for um, a financial miracle or a promotion on our job or for a door to open or for opportunity present itself. Um, it's not only us asking God, but it's God actually speaking to us, giving us direction, 
as in his wisdom, the divine wisdom, the divine counsel of the Lord, the sevenfold spirit of God communicating with us, bringing us understanding, presenting to us the fear of the Lord, that reverence that we need to have for God to be able to more frequently hear his voice because God speaks to us all the time. Sometimes it happens other times more frequently and other times less frequently. But the book is designed to really help those individuals to understand that praying is just not on your knees every day, but it's constant communication with your best friend. Donnie, what is your ultimate hope for this book? Ultimate hope is for every reader that that reads this book, that not only will they pray when it's convenient, when it's easy, and when things are just going awesome and super, super great for them. <laughs> My hope is that readers would, would, would understand that the, one of the great times that the Lord loves to strengthen the relationship between his children and him is when everything is totally against him, when everything is going wrong. Yes, when the sickness is there. Yes, when that person is on their deathbed. It's great to pray for things to come, and it's great, but how about we stretch our faith when everything that we have counted on is not in our favor or not in our corner and we have no support? Those are the great times the Lord is looking for us and pulling on us and drawing us, drawing us closer to his heart so that we can know him better and so that our faith can be increased and strengthened by our situation. Well, great encouragement. The uh, next step would be to take up the offering, but I think I'll wait on that a little bit, uh, maybe <laughs> maybe to another time and place. In the context of your book, give us a definition of prophetic. Prophetic means to the reader, or what I hope it means to the reader, are things to come, a catapult, a releasing, um, an emerging, an unfolding of the things, not even the things, but the promises of God, the promises that God has spoken over our lives before the foundations of the world. Before the foundation of the world, I was supposed, God knew that I would talk to you on this day. He knew what you would feel while we're talking, while we're communicating. So the prophetic is what God aligns up. It's a divine alignment, um, God's order for your life even including the bad things, mm. including the sicknesses, including the distresses. You may ask me a question. I'm, I'm not sure or not, but one of the things I do want to say is that, that when God prepares us to pray and, and we have a heart for prayer and we're hoping for some things to, to manifest and to be fulfilled in our lives, He allows things to divinely come into fruition and People will speak to us. Things will happen just on target with God's timing. And so I hope that God's people will understand that they are in a prophetic motion. The prophetic momentum is already being stirred up. It's already starting even now as as people listen to this interview, that God's people will be stirred up to move in the future, to operate in the future, to look to the future and also to deal with the present and get delivered from their past. Fabulous. That's certainly an aspiration of uh, probably everyone that's listening to me, and especially those who are church attenders or people who are inclined towards spiritual growth. The title of the book, again, is Whatsoever You Do Will Prosper, A Guide for Miraculous Prayer. My guest author, D.W. Williams II. 
Donnie, where do we get copies of your book? Yes, awesome question. You will be able to purchase the book from our website, www.themiraclecenterintl.com. That's just the initials for international.com. So the Miracle Center, I-N-T-L.com. Also, you can go to authorhouse.com. You can go to barnesandnoble.com. And you can also go to amazon.com as well to purchase the book. Absolutely great. 108 pages, so it's not a, a real complex book from the number of pages that are written, but it is uh, filled with uh, encouragement and insight that anyone that is curious about prayer and about miracles certainly would benefit from reading. You can also do a search under the author's name, D.W. Williams II. That's two I.I.s, or well, I guess it's a second. And I'm assuming that perhaps in the future you will uh, you'll do a follow-up article or book or series uh, perhaps to complement this. So look for it under Whatsoever You Do Will Prosper, and uh, you'll find this book and others. Thank you, sir, for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure and it's a privilege to be invited on your show. Honored to visit with you. For Author Talk, this is J. Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. Congratulations on getting your book published. The effort you put into your work is truly commendable. But what's next? What will happen to all the knowledge you have worked so hard to acquire to produce your book? Here at Toginet Radio, we can provide you a platform to keep your knowledge working for you through the power of podcast. The subjects our podcasts cover are as varied as the grains of sand on a beach. From life coaching, to military resources, to business success, even to the paranormal. We have a place for everyone. To get started on your next step, call Scott at 903-787-5880 or email him at scott at toginetradio.com. That's S-C-O-T-T at T-O-G-I-N-E-T-R-A-D-I-O dot com. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts... Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is I Know I Got Issues. Subtitled, I Just Wish Someone Had Told Me a Long Time Ago. And joining me from North Carolina is author Daryl Jordan. Welcome to the program, sir. All right. Thank you, Jay. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. Well, my pleasure. Awesome. You have 109 pages here. What in the world got you motivated to share your story or share these questions that were uh, constantly maybe um, uh, assaulting your mind. What what do you think uh, were your issues, and how did you address them? Well, it's, um, it's a good question. I, um, I've i actually written a book prior to this and said, I know i got issues, and um, I wish somebody had told me. And then I revised the book and added a long time ago because there were some things I wanted to add. And um, it all started, I guess, when I was um, 14 years old, and my mom was shot six times and killed. And I um, had to, you know, deal with my uncle being shot two years prior to that. Wow. And I, and I always wondered how I made it, you know? You know, I'm 50-something years old now, and um, 
as I grew up, I realized that, you know, God took care of me. He gave, he helped me see things in a better way, in a different way. And so he helped me actually, I guess, get stronger from it. That, that, the, the book is about how, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying that that is amazing that uh, you had such a traumatic beginning in life and still overcame that. Uh, did you have other influencers in your life besides mom and, and other close relatives? Uh, what, what, what was the impetus that got you started on the right path? Well, actually, and it, it's, it's that's another question. I I really wish I had um something, something that, you know, that thing that kind of hit you. But it was just, you know, when I was 16, I left home. I, you know, I got emancipated and left home with my dad because we didn't get along. And it's it's weird because before my dad passed for the last 30 years, we're like best friends. Wow. But it was just, I would always ask, you know, what should I do? How should I kind of process this? And I think one of the biggest things that happened for me was we were over my grandfather's house playing basketball. And this one guy, his name was Patrick. And he says, did y'all hear what happened the other night? And I said, you know, what was it? What was going on? And my brothers and I were like, what? And my uncle's like, what, what you mean? He said, this young, this lady got killed. And when the guy was shooting her, all she was talking about was her kids. And my sister witnessed it. Wow. And we all just stopped. You know, we were playing basketball at the time, and my uncle said, that was my sister. And my brother and I said, that was our mother. And that really stuck with me. It stuck mm. with me up until, I guess, even when I deployed and I was in Guantanamo Bay working in the camps, I, um, it just made me think of how God, you know, has put things in front of me to help me see what's important. And I thought to myself, I said, if my mom was thinking about us, at that time, I refused to let her down. Wow. Now, I want to say something. I've made some mistakes in my life and I wanted to do things better, but God is blessed enough to give me an opportunity, if not correct them, but to, to grow from them. And um, it, was, it was that moment that I'll never forget. And having three children and four grandchildren, you got to know, Jay, that's, kind of, that's important to me. And wow. it's because of that moment I would never forget it. And when he looked at me, I just turned to Patrick and I said, no, man, no, man, because he started crying. And I was like, no, thank you, man. Thank you. Mm. And um, it, it really changed me. And um, But it's because at that moment I could have really let it get to me because, you know, a couple of years after that, one of my brothers got shot 14 times and he lived. And um, his, his reminder is the bullet that's left in his in his spine and he um and he thanks god for that bullet so my mom even though she's gone years ago you know helps us to see we may have issues and it's okay it's okay to have these issues but it helps us to remember how she saw being a mother and it helps us try to be i say try to be a better parent well great a great speaker once uh, called this type of event turning scars into stars and uh, it is obvious from your inspirational observations about this very life-changing event that that has happened with you. There's also a faith element that uh, occurred. Was that something that was in place before these tragic, what would be called tragic incidents happened, or was it something that transpired following these? Well, you know, oddly enough, when my um, when I was, I think I was like 12, friends of mine were going to church. You know, and I, I went to church with him a couple of times and mom let me go. And I came home one, one Sunday and I said, Mom, I, I want to be baptized. <laughs> she was like, 
do you know what that is? I said, mm-hmm. I know what it is. And she told me, she said, when you're ready, I will, um, I'll let you do it, but you're not ready right now. Hmm. And um, I thought about that and thought about that. And I did, you know, the mom passed away. I got baptized and I think my grandmother, she was, it was funny because I remember being 17 and she slipped on the ice. Cause you know, where we're from Gary, Indiana, you know, ice was everywhere in the wintertime. Oh yes. And I thought, Oh man, this, this is going to get me out going to church, you know? And I helped my grandmother up and she walked straight to my car and said, boy, get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so she was like five feet tall, you know, and I'm six, four and she just grabbed my arm. She said, boy, you better get in this car. Wow. So my mom and my grandmother really, they, they talked about God a lot, but my mom was more like, it was like, she made me feel like God really existed. Mm. You know, like when her brother was, when her brothers were shot and killed, she sat in the basement praying and talking to God. And so it, I saw that, you know, and then about, I always say after the summer was over, my mother was back to being my mother, you know? Mm. And, um, but I knew that's what she was doing and it, it meant a lot to me. So, you know what I did? It was right before the summer, a couple of weeks before my birthday, my mom was killed and I spent the summer praying and spending a lot of time by myself. And, uh, which is the same thing I did when I was deployed. I spent a lot of time by myself praying and, um, and I just, that stuck with me as well. And, um, that was you know, I became, I've been a preacher for about 13 years and, um, always knew I had issues. And I, I always ask God, why would you want me to preach? I got a lot of baggage, so to speak. Mm. And, um, that's where my chapter two came in with, you know, baggage. Yeah, I'm and, seeing um, that. and that's where that came from. I just know that every day we have things that we've gone through and things that we deal with in our past. And sometimes we know it's coming in the future and we have to, we make this decision, right? to pick that bag up every day and face the world, you know? Absolutely. You know, I had times where things bothered me, especially when I was deployed, where I would come out of the, we call them choose where we stayed, and I would come out of there and I would go, you know what, I'm not going to worry about today. And then I walk out there and I feel good and I get down the road and I felt like I might as well turn back around because by the time I got to the camp, I was, I had this idea of what could happen. You know, I could feel the, the feeling that you get when you know you're in an interesting situation. Mm. And, um, but I learned that we make a choice every day on whether or not we're going to leave that baggage at home or leave it with the Lord. And, um, and not still today. I still today, I make that decision. Every day I wake up, I walk out of here and I say, Lord, I'm going to give this to you today, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. and I'm not going to take it back. Well, that, that, <laughs> that's an inspiration, encouraging uh, thought. You, in your book, uh, I will say this about your, your writing style, that it really is conversational, is it not? It's not just a Bible outline or a scriptural reference book. It also is conversational, not only with you, but with other people in the book itself. When you began to write this, um, I'm, I'm guessing, and I may be incorrect, that you wanted to make an impact on your family members as well as the readers who will uh, get a copy of this book. Was that something that motivated you uh, highly, or what uh, What was it that uh, that made you want to complete this? Well, it was, and that's, I mean, that's something that always sticks with me. Actually, my sister, who I've had, I've hadn't seen in probably about, you know, I saw her, I think, five years ago, and that was the last time I saw her was at a funeral, because mm. her 21-year-old son was killed in Afghanistan. Ouch and KJ and I, I wanted to um, see her. And so her and a friend drove all over Minnesota 
and she'll be here in a couple of hours. And I hadn't seen her in years. The last wow. time I saw her was at a funeral. And you get kind of tired of seeing your siblings at funerals, you know? Absolutely. And so what I wanted them, I wanted them to know is that, that we're all a family. We're all my mother's children. And she expects us to, to remember that and remember the good things. Remember my mom working two jobs to take care of us and having surgery and the next day going to work. And then that day she was actually, that night she was killed. And so, you know, all of us are workaholics, you know. Hmm. But unfortunately, Jay, Jay, we spent so many years not being able to look at each other because we all saw my mother and each and one of us. And we just, my brother spent 20 years away from us, 20 years wow. in the Netherlands and in Belgium away. He finally came back to the States a couple of years ago. We just had a hard time even talking. And um, I've never even had a conversation with my older brother about my mom passing. And that was my older brother, of course, is older than me. And we've never sat down and talked about it. Incredible. And um, and I wanted to write it to I wanted to write it to them, to let them know it's okay. I took my Facebook page and made it my profile picture so my brother could see it. Cause only time he talks to me is through Facebook. He won't call me, you know, sometimes. Mm. And so I I wanted to write to them, and it, I wanted to write to people that feel like their issues is something that's going to stop them. What I want them to see is when you have a stack of issues. In the name of Jesus, stand on top of those and get strength. Because a lot of times we look at what we go through, what we're going through, and what we have to deal with. Deal with. And I, I like something I think Winston Churchill said, you, you know, of course, years ago, he said, when you're going through hell, just keep going, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and um, I just feel like that's what my book is about. It's like we all have issues, but let them strengthen you because we look at the battle, but we don't look at, look at the victory. You know, that we're still moving, we're still going, and that's where the victory lies. And that's why I think people sometimes forget what God can do. Like, even though we're going through, we're still going through, you know, we're still moving. And I wanted my brothers and sisters to know that I love them, I miss them, but we, you know, excuse me, sorry about that. But I just wanted them to know that they're not alone. Beautiful. You've had a challenging background, Sorry. and you tell a very challenging story in your book. I love the chapter headings as well, because although there is a faith base to your storyline, it also has some inspiration just in the titles itself. You don't know my story, and I don't know yours. Uh, how insightful is that? Uh, most of us approach our friendships and our conversation uh, with a preconceived notion about the emotional status of someone that we're involved with and all of that. Oh, it's absolutely because you look at you look at people that say judging the book by its cover. We a lot of times, you know, being a, a minister, even just talking to people when they tell you things, your mouth is wide open because you spend years in church with somebody and you just really do not know their story. And so, right. a lot of times, people, you know, most for the most part, don't know your story either, right? Absolutely. And the, the incredible thing that I wanted to get to say to my brothers and sisters is that my story is your story. Absolutely. You know what I'm thinking, and I know what you're thinking. And then there are people out there that have a story that may be the same. There will be people that walk around here all the time with this look on their face that no one understands or this attitude that no one understands. And um, But God knows. He understands. And it, and he allowed these things to happen so that we'll be the people that we are. And it's like no one can really, truly, truly, truly 
know your story, Jay. They can't, you know, they just see what they see. Mm-hmm. But I always believe that this is this is not the finished product. This is just where I'm going, you know. And the things that happened, I used to say to me, but now I say for me, are just getting me where God wants me to go. Okay, that's exceptional advice. I, even though there are some events that happened in my own personal life uh, from an emotional stress standpoint that uh, even my close family members uh, didn't know and uh, didn't relate to, and I think to this day, although they occurred maybe 20 years ago, don't know the depth of those stresses that uh, tried to yeah, try to try to mess me up permanently. And you have not been reluctant to share the deep, deep hurts in your life, but you also have not been reluctant, and this is the good part, to relate the inspirational and victorious moments that you've shared in your life as well, and most of it because of your foundation of faith. I think that's uh, that's certainly an inspiration that everyone can take away from them. How long did it take you, Daryl, to complete your book? Well, actually, I, and uh, thank you. I've had it in my head for a long time, and I, I just, um, I'll be honest with you, I just started feeling guilty for not writing it the way hmm. I felt God wanted me to write. These are the conversations that I have with God every day. And I finally just pretty much just, it almost to me was like talking, like you said, having a conversation. Right. But I've had these conversations and, you know, you know, let me tell you what would get me. I would meet somebody that had gone through these same, as you say, stressors in life. And I would talk to them and I wouldn't tell them nothing about me. Right. Right. And um, they would say, oh man, wherever you, you get me. You know, something about you, and I would, you know, and I, you know, because you're reluctant, because it, when you're talking to somebody, administering somebody, it's not about you. Right. You know, it's about what God is trying to do. So you try to, you know, as I say, stay professional, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and sometimes it was just hard. So this book is just, I just wanted to write it the way I felt, the way I've been talking to God about it for, for I mean, for years I've been talking to him. And, um, and everything that I do, I'm not just saying this, everything I do I hear God talking to me. My my wife is like, I'll be thinking something. And then my wife will look at me and go, have you ever thought about this? I'm like, ah, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I truly believe the Bible, as it says, I help me because my wife has been, I've been married 29 years and she um truly, I, I she's a blessing from God. And, um, and I'm not perfect and she knows I'm not perfect. And she accepts me just the way I am. She, she told me the other day, you sure got a lot of trying you. <laughs> I just I just keep trying. <laughs> well, thank you for being honest, because your book, again, does share the warts and all as it's been discussed or shared in uh, conversations before. The book is uh, one that I'm assuming, and I'm presumptive here, and I think it's correct, you would like this to get into everybody's hands, anyone that's a human and has had uh, some challenges in life. Would that be correct? Absolutely, absolutely. I um, I would like anyone and everyone. And um, I finally told my pastor the other day that I actually wrote this book. You know, and um, I just realized I I need to tell anybody and everybody I can that just read it and know that you're not alone. Beautiful. And um, and it's okay. And we have issues, but it's okay. Absolutely, it's okay. That's where the title comes from. I know I've got issues. I just wish someone had told me a long time ago. And my author has been yeah. joining me from North Carolina, Daryl Jordan. Daryl, where do we get copies of your book? Oh, you can get it on any, actually, any bookstore from Amazon or 
Barnes and Nobles. It's available, and um, you can Google my name, and um, I I'm really been blessed. I I'm not not kidding you. You can get it anywhere and everywhere. My um daughter went into um I think it was Barnes and Nobles and asked them for my book, and they um said we will have it to you in two days. Wow. And um and they put some copies on the shelf, so you can get it, you know, anywhere. And but Amazon has been gracious enough to um make sure it gets out there, and I appreciate it. And Author House as well has really, really backed me and helped me, and I. I really do appreciate it. That's phenomenal. And they can do a search under your name, Daryl Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N, and Daryl with two R's and a Y and an L, Daryl. And uh, yeah. they can find you there and also request it at their local bookseller by the name of the book, I Know I Got Issues. Love the colloquial approach to that title. I just wish someone had told me a long time ago, and that makes some, two of us at least that feel that way. Thank you, Daryl, for joining me today and, and being honest and sharing your heart. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Jay. Thanks for having me. It's, it's the first time I've actually talk, spoken in public. Yeah. I think some other doors are going to open up for you. I just believe that's going to happen. You have a story to tell, and it needs to be shared. Thank you again for taking time to bear your heart and share your story. All right. Thank you, Jay. You take care now. My pleasure for Author House and Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts. Back in a moment. It's marching you hear about Wesley, the golden retriever puppy from Michigan that was fitted with braces? Before you think this is a bonafide insanity, Wesley was born with teeth that were so crooked he couldn't shut his mouth all the way. This was affecting his ability to eat properly. So his owners took him to the Harborfront Hospital for Animals and Veterinary Dental Solutions, where a doggy orthodontist prescribed him a set of braces. And now, pictures of Wesley smiling with his bright, shiny braces have been circling the Internet. With all that metal wrapped around their teeth, some would think that most dogs would become bruxomaniacs, but not Wesley. He doesn't mind the braces at all and is now able to eat his food with gusto. A bruxomaniac is someone with an uncontrollable urge to grind their teeth. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts... Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Welcome to the program. We have uh, multiple authors who have joined me from the Caribbean, from St. Lucia, and they've written a book titled Sacramentals, Holy Things, Holy Actions, and Holy Places. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, again, this is a uh, relatively short book, 48 pages. Uh, obviously, it uh, sounds like it's a religious book. What is the, what is the context of the book? The book is uh, written, first of all, I must tell you that our main objective as writers, we call ourselves Seventh Chapter. Um, our main objective is to give to young Catholic children an understanding of their faith and to teach them the things that are pertinent for growing young people. Excellent. Primarily for children, right. Very good. Well, thank you for clearing that up. I was wondering about that subtitle or that that uh, notation of seventh chapter. I thought perhaps this was a, a number of uh, books in a series. Um, let me tell you um, about seventh chapter. 
I like I like to tell that story. Sure. Because we are seven, but the word chapter we use from Sarah Lightfoot Lawrence, Sarah Lawrence Lightfoot's book called The Third Chapter. Uh, she looks at the years beyond 50, and she calls that a third chapter. Now, all of us are awesome white-haired people. We have all retired, and there are seven of us. And we use the word chapter in that notion because the writing for children is a transition in our lives. We've retired, and this is the mission that we've undertaken. And because there are seven of us, we call ourselves Seven's Chapter. And it's easier to write down the author as seven chapter than to write down seven names. So this is the origin of seven chapter. And as I have explained already, our mission is to do just to promote our faith for young children. Well, beautiful. That's that's a major undertaking, I would think, from uh, your perspective to reach out to the community and give them an understanding of the Catholic faith. You have uh, outlined several things, and, and very simply, uh, although this book is directed towards children, it would also be of interest perhaps to anyone that uh, doesn't understand the uh, sacraments of the Catholic faith. Would that be uh, something also that you hope to achieve? Yes, definitely. Um, I have had adults look at the book and say, but I don't know many of these things. And I've said, exactly, we wrote it for children, but we know that there is a community of people who are who is not familiar with a lot of the things in the book. So it serves, that's why we speak of it as having universal appeal. It serves the young children in our church. It serves curious minds outside our church, and it also serves adults. I don't know if any of you want to add anything. Yeah. Okay. Yes, you cover things under, well, the primary uh, focus of the first part of the book is holy things, and you mm-hmm. uh, you have focused on the altar, the ashes, oils, salt, uh, some things I wasn't familiar with, the blessed cake. Share with my audience a little of that story and what the background uh, significance of that is. Uh, and also one of the authors is here, and she particularly likes the notion of the blessed cake, so I will let her talk to that. Very good. I think the cake, the presence of the cake ties in with our culture. Because whenever there is a religious ceremony, it ends with a party-like atmosphere. So having having um, attended a special religious ceremony, we end with a cake that everybody who attended partakes of. I think that's the origin, and hence we have continue, continued it to this day. Whenever there's a special activity, we serve the whole church cake. We call it Pe Beni, blessed bread, or Pe Bobon Beni, blessed cake, because it's a little, it's a bread that is sweetened with a little um, raisin sometimes, and we cut it in small pieces, and every single person in the church gets a piece. We'll talk about the blessing. And yeah. of course, before it is served, the priest blesses it. Yes. Uh, this would be well. I would. I was going to say this is similar to some denominations that do dinner on the grounds, but it's not quite. This is a little more uh, sacred in its intent. Correct. That's right. Yes. And yes. and holy water. Where is the origin of that, and how is it integrated into the worship in the Catholic faith? The holy water um, comes to the notion of baptism. You baptize with water and the Holy Spirit. And in our church, we do baptism of infants, and we bless holy water. We bless water 
right. on the Easter. Easter, 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 Easter Saturday. That is the day before Easter, what we call Holy Saturday. We bless holy water. We bless water, and that is available to everybody in the church. You take your containers, and you can take holy water home. There is a, a container at the front of the church, at the entrance to the church, where you can dip your hand in the water and sign yourself, make the sign of the cross with the water. This is in all the churches, and this is a sign that we we are Christian, we belong to this faith, and we believe in the cleansing of um, of ourselves through holy water. The holy water is also used to purify your home, so you can get into your house and sprinkle holy water, just to keep things pure and sacred. Is it considered yep. sim- symbolic in your worship, or is it something that is uh, with mystical content? It is symbolic in our worship. In some very formal services, the priest goes down the island, sprinkles water on everybody, and we sing a hymn of sprinkling of, sprinkling of water, come to the water, or one of those hymns that talk about water and baptism. It's very, very significant. You want to add something about that? Yeah, I just want to add that the, the water is associated with the notion of cleansing. That is important because we use water to clean. And so the water symbolizing a cleansing, walling of evil, and cleansing of the spirit purifies us so that we could present ourselves to God. For having been purified, we are now clean. And that is why at the entrance of the church, there is a haunted water, and everybody blesses or sprinkles himself with this water before attending the services. So it is like a cleansing of yourself and in preparation for meeting God when you come into church. Perhaps that would be similar to to other churches that maybe have a prayer session prior to a service. Uh, it would it fall in that same category of, of focusing your attention on worship. I think we can see that, yeah. And when I what I did find interesting in uh, reading the excerpts from Holy Things, people on the outside of the Catholic Church, especially the uh, the very liturgical style Catholic services, uh, have questions about the the images and the items that are included in Holy Things. And one thing that I found mm-hmm. in- interesting and also encouraging is that uh, this is not. You've made it very clear. This is not idolatry worship. There's a, a per a purpose for having the symbols in the church. What is that purpose, and why are there images? I think I like your response to that about saying mm-hmm. the book. They, they, they're reminiscent of the history of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, in, the, in the early church, people were not very literate, and so not everybody could read, and so the images were a pictorial way of showing people the history of the church, the things that have happened then, and so on. And the pictures remain, just as we keep pictures of our grandparents, our children in our homes, just to remind us, even if they have died, we just want to remember them. And the pictures in the church and the statues in the church do just that. They allow us to be conscious of people who have lived before us, who have lived lives that we can emulate. So they are always in our consciousness because the the, the pictures are always there. 
And how long did it take to complete the book? There are some wonderful pictures, and I believe there are photos of your parish or the parish that you are attending. Is that correct? That is correct. And I think that's one of the fascinating things about the book, because any child from our parish picking it up sees familiar things. And the parish priests, people who work and serve in the parish, and so on. Um, what was the question you asked? How long did it take? Oh, the book I took about a year. Just yeah. about a little under a year. A little under a year, mm-hmm. yeah. And so far, what has been the reaction? I, I know you're directed uh, particularly to uh, to get this message to your children in the community and also in the parish to underscore to them the importance of the symbolism and also the, uh, the tenets of the faith. Uh, what has been the reaction from adults and others who perhaps are outsiders that have not uh, been a part of the parish or the community? I, I think people have generally been fascinated with it because it's very colorful and very attractive and also informative because, as I mentioned a while ago, some adults didn't even know the significance of some of the things in the book. So that they are, I remember one capitalist saying that it is a very useful book and it should be available to all young children of that age as a teaching tool. So, and I'm not sure about people outside the faith. They find it attractive, but I haven't spoken to many of them. I don't know if any of you have had any feedback. Well, we've been telling people about the book and they have all responded positively. They're interested in it, but we received a bulk only last Friday. So not many people have the book in their hand. But those who have had it, those who have managed to look through it, are very excited. And again, they express that um, it's valuable because it is informative. It will give, provide much-needed information. Is there another book from 7th Chapter? Is there something else in the future that will uh, also reinforce your commitment to your faith? We have a book prior to this one called Priceless Treasure. This is a narrative. We published that in 2014. It is a narrative that centers on the importance of the Eucharist in the life of Catholic Christians, and the whole narrative underscores that. Um, So this was the first book in 2014. This is 2019. This is the second. Uh, We will continue to write. Should I say what I have in mind? We want to write for the social teachings of the Catholic Church. You'll explain that, Rebecca. And then we want to write a book that explains that to young people, because it is, I think it's a little more, demands a little more intellectually. And um, as far as I gather, it has been, it has been for adults to talk about the social teachings of the church. But I don't think that that has been given to children as an opportunity. And I think that is where we at Seven Chapter believe that foundations need to be set early so that we can build on them so children can have a moral and ethical approach to life. And things like that would allow them to do that. Agatha will say a little bit about the social teachings of the church. Yes. Yes, there are five major teachings that form the framework of the social teaching. I myself was very excited when I was introduced to one. One of them that comes to my mind readily is care for the environment. The early church from the beginning thought we should care for the environment because the environment cares for us. 
and we in turn should care for it so that we could benefit and continue and allow it to continue to be of benefit to others. So now that the Pope has written about the environment and people are saying, but why is he concerned? It is a way of reminding people that church has always had care of the environment as one of its fundamental teachings. The, the second one that comes to my mind is the, um, the common good, the common good. We must care for one another. And if our, a person in our community has lost a spouse, it is the responsibility of the rest of the community to take care of that person. That is one of the major teachings of the church, the common good, taking care of the good. And I imagine that embraces the sick, um, the, um, the poor, the imprisoned, and so on. A third one I remember is the care for life. I can't remember exactly how it is worded, but um, that touches on euthanasia, euthanasia and abortion. The church has always been concerned for that care for life. I, the, the other two don't come readily in mind. I don't know but if you can remember, general, but uh, those are the three ones that come to mind. Very so good. The church, yes. tend to giving us religious instruction has always also taken care of our temporal needs. Very good. I am inspired by uh, talking with you because uh, you have mentioned that you are more in the retired area but still have the drive, ambition, and fire to uh, reach out to your generation and to the generations that are uh, coming up in the church to make sure they are familiar with and uh, inspired by the uh, teaching in your book. Uh, The Holy Actions covers blessings, bowing the head, and other things, the sign of the cross, washing of feet, and, and other important aspects of church worship, and the follow following uh, the, the the final chapter deals with holy places. Where do we get copies of your book? Sacramentals, holy things, holy actions, and holy places. Oh, it's available on Amazon, which is easy access for many people. It's available in our church, and it's available in parishes. It will be available in parishes across St. Lucia. And local bookshops. Uh, in the local bookshops. And we've also asked um, through our marketing representative of Upper House to have it advertised in some of the Caribbean Caribbean islands. Well, very good. It's a pleasure visiting with you. I, I notice you have some friends in the background that are also uh, contributing to the interview. But that's great. Uh, it makes it makes it charming. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you very much. Sir. Remember, the title of the book, again, is, is Sacramentals. Holy Things, Holy Actions, Holy Places, and the authors go under the title or the name Seventh Chapter. So if you need to do a search, yes, if you need to uh, do a search at your local bookstore, they can also order this in. Thank you, ladies, for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you very much, Jay. My pleasure from St. Lucia. And for Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Join us again for Christian Living That Counts.